0: Well, my friends, welcome to another Blues in the Blood podcast, Well, the gear is in tune, the mics are hot, and the crowd's getting restless. The music is just about ready to start, so get a refill on your favorite drink, grab a seat, and get ready to get some Blues in the Blood.
1: Hi, this is Buzzy Jackson, author of A Bad Woman Feeling Good, and you're listening to a special Women in Blues show on the Blues in the Blood podcast.
0: Welcome to the Blues and the Blood podcast. This is show number 25. That makes it our silver anniversary show. I don't know about silver, but we certainly have some golden tunes for you today. This show uh, is a continuation of our last show. This is Women in Blues Part 2. With us once again will be Buzzy Jackson, author of the great book, A Bad Woman Feeling Good, Blues and the Women Who Sing Them. Well, starting off the show was another great artist who stands her ground as one sassy, sexy blues woman. That was Candy Kane singing, You Need a Great Big Woman. That was off of her Rough Records CD, Diva La Grande. So, who are we going to celebrate with their contributions to the blues other than Candy? Well, we've got some great signed and unsigned artists. How about Summer in the Centers, Jesse May Hemphill, Rory Block, Susan Tedeschi, Teresa James and the Rhythm Traps, Geneva Magnus, Debbie Davies, Deborah Coleman, Melissa Forbes, Michelle and the Midnight Blues, Anna Popovic, and Mary Bridget Davies. We also have one from Bessie Smith. So, are you ready to get some blues on? Here we go. Crank it up, my friends. We're off and running. <laughs> last cut was Natural Ball by Summer in the Sinners. That uh, is Big Mama Summer on vocals and uh, that's off the Boogie with the Devil CD and that's a Voodoo Head Production CD. Well my friends I'm delighted to have as our guest once again uh, on this special Blues in the Blood Women in Blues Part 2 someone who's contributed a great deal to the body of knowledge about the women who broke the rules and survived through singing the blues. With us is Buzzy Jackson once again professor of history at the University of Colorado. She's the author of the great book, A Bad Woman Feeling Good, Blues and the Women Who Sing Them. Buzzy, welcome to part two of the Women in Blues show.
1: Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here.
0: Buzzy, I appreciate you joining us once again for part two of the show, and I just wanted to mention your book is excellent in the way that it describes a birth or kind of the evolution of the blues, and I quote, the blues grew out of a rich Southern African-American culture, in which music accompanied nearly every aspect of African American life. Sweet lullabies, work songs, field hollers, chain gang chants, Baptist spirituals, funeral tunes, and the evocative nonverbal calls, hollers, and moans that have always been central to African musical expression. From the very beginning, you're describing the constant mixture and change when combining cultural behaviors. Uh, it's kind of what the blues have been all about all along.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, basically my my attitude toward it is I'm really not um, a purist. You know, I think there are people who want to confine the blues to specific, uh, you know, groups of chords or specific topics or even to specific races of people who are allowed to sing them. And that's just not where I'm at. Um, I really think that the great thing about blues is that it resists this idea of purity, um, and at least I think it should if it wants to stay vital. Um, I think, you know, what's important about sort of listing all of those different uh, points of origin for blues is that blues music really comes out of average, everyday life. It's not some kind of music that's confined to the concert hall. It's really about normal people, the real things that happen to them, the good, the bad, the ugly, Um, and that's what people respond to. I mean, I think that's why we love the blues, and that's what's made it, it's like that flexibility has made it um, last so long. I mean, you know, we're over 100 years into the blues, and there's, you know, no sign of it really going away, so I think that, um, I think it's, I just think it's important to really keep blues connected to
0: um, you know, n- real life, basically. Uh, you know, Buzzy, last show we uh, talked a lot about Ma Rainey. Well, let's hear a song about someone who is very, very close to Ma Rainey. Here's the Empress of the Blues, Bessie Smith, with her song that was recorded on November 6, 1930, He Treats Me Like a Dog. ¶¶ You know, uh, Buzzy, Bessie Smith was also known as St. Louis Bessie, Bluebell, Stream Streamline May, uh, and other names. Any idea why so many blues musicians recorded under so many different names?
1: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think it's possible that some of that was just to spark interest in the record-buying public, like, oh, here's some new, um, you know, some new, exciting, young talent. Um, although Bessie Smith, I think... Um, she really became her own successful brand, you know, in her own right in the 1920s. And eventually, I think it would have actually hurt her to go by other names because people really did seek out Bessie Smith's records. Um, I mean, the other significant thing about her name is that there were so many women blues singers with the surname Smith who were recording in the 1920s. Clara Smith, Trixie Smith, there were a bunch of them. And I think many of them although they were talented singers in their own right, um, benefited from having the same last name as Bessie Smith. People might have gotten confused and thought it was Bessie Smith or maybe thought they were sisters or something. You know, who knows? But they're definitely, when you start looking at all the Smith blues women in the 20s, it can be kind of mind-boggling. All
0: right, Buzzy, let's take a break from our interview and play a little blues uh, number from Jessie Mayhem Hemphill. Let's play Lord Help the Poor and Needy. She has the distinction of winning back-to-back Handy Awards for the Best Traditional Female Blues Artist in 1987 and 1988. This is off the Inside Sound CD Get Right Blues. Law help
2: the poor and need it in this land, in this land. law help the poor and need it in this land, in this land. When we all rise together And face the rising song. Lord help the poor and needy in this land, in this land. Lord help the sin of man in this land, in this land. Lord help the sin of man in this land, in this land. When we all rise together. And face the rising storm Lord help the sinner man In this land, in this land Lord help the gambling man In this land, in this land Lord help the gambling man In this land, in this land When we all rise together And face the rising sun. Lord, help the gambling man in this land, in this land. Lord, help the mudless children in this land, in this land. Lord, help the mudless children in this land, in this land. When we all rise together and face the rising song. Lord, help the moorless children in this land, in this land. Lord, help the wicked raise in this land, in this land. Lord, help the wicked raise in this land, in this land. When we all rise together and face the rising song.
1: Hey folks, it's Jennifer Magnuson. you're listening to the Blues in the Blood Special Women in Blues Podcast Celebrating all the great contributions Of women in the blues
3: They called Miss Sugar. They threw me in the jail, and I. Everyone says the other one's wrong And neither one wants to give up the fight Lean to the left, lean to the right When the winds die down, who's left standing? When it all comes down, where's it landing? When the winds die down
0: block with uh, her rendition of big road blues that was off of her gone women blues CD from rounder records it's kind of a country blues collection and I tell you what the way she does Tommy Johnson's uh, falsetto near howls is just as haunting as his original Uh, very impressive Uh, after Rory was uh, when the winds die down that was Teresa James and the rhythm tramps off of the black and tan records oh yeah Okay, back to our interview uh, with Buzzy. Well, okay, Buzzy, uh, your book covers many, many women artists, uh, including Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, Billie Holiday, and Etta James, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Lucinda Williams, Janis Joplin, and and lots more. Uh, Who are your favorites? And if we were to listen to your iPod or MP3 player, what female blues artists will be here? And uh, how about new female artists?
1: Yeah, you know... um it was interesting writing the book and doing the research because I really you know I really got to know a lot of artists uh, so much better than i than I had before um, and now looking back on the group of women who are included in this book, um, it's funny it's hard for me to separate my feelings about them as people from just how much I love their music, you know per se, and I mean somebody who really changed in my estimation was Janis Joplin for instance. I mean I kind of, you know I knew who Janis Joplin was before I did the book. Um I had heard her songs, but in doing the research about her I really came to love Janis Joplin the person. She was just she's so smart, she was so um just so talented and and kind of vulnerable to and such a real person um i just thought wow janice joplin has really not been well enough appreciated i think um also her music is rarely played on the radio uh so that kind of made me feel a sort of underdog quality for her mm-hmm. um of course i still love bessie smith and nobody can really take her place um and, you know, same with B- Billie Holiday. I mean, they're just classics. In terms of more contemporary people, um, I think Susan Tedeschi is terrific. Um, I think uh, there's a local person around Colorado who she tours a lot, but I've I've gotten to know her a little bit, Molly O'Brien, and she's terrific. Um, and I have to say, somebody who, you know, as as anyone will know who picks up my book, I don't necessarily stick to just, like, Strictly blues performers. And um, somebody who I think is really talented and kind of caught me by surprise is Joss Stone, the uh, mm. the young English uh, girl. She's like 18 years old or something. Um, and she's really terrific. And if anyone out there doubts it, I would say listen to her cover of a white-striped song called Fell in Love with a Boy. It's really funky, and she's I think she's incredibly talented. Mm. So I like her a lot. I also like the new uh, Betty LeVette record that came out um, and she's kind of an older r&b singer who's been sort of rediscovered which is great i think she's from philadelphia and she's
0: terrific hmm. all right buzzy you uh, mentioned susan tedeschi in your list of favorites so let's slow things down with the sultry soulful sound of susan singing just won't burn it'll be off of her 1998 tone cool cd of the same name enjoy everybody You know, Buzzy, I'll have to be honest. Uh, I used to have a real guilty feeling about loving the blues, but being a big advocate of technology. But the more I learn about the blues, I've, I've really come to respect what innovative technologies have provided uh, more opportunities for the blues to be heard. In your opinion, uh, has technology helped or hurt the artists?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think it's you know, I I think it's really um, I think there is a, an understandable. Um, tendency to kind of look at, say, blues music as sort of in the category of things that are traditional and technology in the category of things that are, you know, shiny and new. But um, but really, blues music as we know it would not exist without the technology of the 1920s. And, you know, luckily for us, the 20th century was this incredible time of audio uh, engineering so, you know, Bessie Smith, for example, performed, um, I believe it was in in North Carolina She did, or South Carolina. She did a performance in the very early 1920s in which a giant Victrola record player, the kind with the big horn, you know, coming out of it, a giant Victrola record player was on stage, and she emerged out of, like, a door opened from the bottom of the Victrola, and she walked out of it singing, which is, I mean, truly the equivalent of, you know, a giant iPod on stage and <laughs> some, a door opening and somebody walking out of it, you know, it's um, it, it was a radical thing. But I think, you know, for Bessie Smith, it was the fact that her career coincided with the advance of these recording technologies of records being pressed and being, um, you know, distributed at, at really um, uh, in high numbers. Also, you know, another aspect of that was um, in the 20s, the record player, the Victrola itself, was—it wasn't just a gadget for playing music, but it was really—I mean, it was so big, and it came in this big wooden cabinet. It was really considered, you know, a piece of furniture. And um, the advent of sort of paying things—you um, know, uh, what's the term I want to use—where you pay it in installments, the installment right. plan—that was first extended to African Americans in the North, at least. Um, in the 1920s, which made it possible for lots and lots of African-American families to have record players in their homes for the first time. And that that itself, you know, which was basically a marketing change, made it possible for the blues to disseminate, you know, all through the country in a way that it just wouldn't have been possible before. Because, frankly, you know, it was expensive to buy a record player, and a lot of these folks, you know, didn't have the disposable income. But the installment plan really made it possible. So, I, I just think, you know, that the, the um, all the advances in recording technology really made made this music possible allowed other people you know musicians who were interested in in this music allowed them to hear musicians who they never would have otherwise heard and you know somebody like Billie Holiday who only ever heard Bessie Smith on records um you know it was a huge influence on her so I think um I don't think we should separate technology and the blues they've always gone hand in hand so don't be so hard on yourself
0: okay before we get uh, back to some more musics I always find it interesting, uh, Buzzy, how the name of this genre of music has evolved. You know, we we hear jazz, uh, race music, uh, the devil's music, rhythm and blues, blues, et cetera. Uh, Why all the changes? Uh,
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, in general, I think it really, sadly, is kind of a boring answer. I think it really comes down to marketing. (laughs) Um, I think that, uh, you know, because when a music just emerges out of a, you know, folk culture, I don't think people really feel obligated to find a name for it. It's just the music they play. Um, but I think as the 20th century progressed and music became more of a big business, um, you know, part of that was marketing this music to different people. Audiences, and so you had you know the anti blues groups who wanted to call it the devil's music, Um, and you had uh, you know people in who sold records who wanted to distinguish it from the emerging rock and roll, and you know that's where the whole rhythm and blues thing came out, Um, which was basically just a way of calling it black music and segregating it by race. So, you know, I mean, it's sort of an ongoing issue i think in popular music in this country i mean i was just thinking yesterday how um grandmaster flash and the furious five are going to be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and they're the first hip hop group to be inducted <laughs> which makes you wonder you know it, is hip hop part of rock and roll and you know first of all it's crazy that no other hip hop group has been in there yet but you know just these these categories which are essentially just used to sell music are so um, they can they can stand in the way of a lot of uh, of a lot of people's understanding of how how much these musics have in common. You know, that's my take on it. Anyway, yeah, you
0: know, I always got a kick out of something that b p King once said. It was something like, uh, you know, they used to call this music rhythm and blues. Now they just call it blues. So I guess somewhere along the line, we all lost our rhythm. (laughs) I thought that was always great. All right, let's take a little bit of a break from our interview and hear Debbie Davies. This is Picture This off the 1993 Blind Pig Records' Picture This CD. Following Debbie Davies will will be Deborah Coleman playing Goodbye Misery off of her album White Line Flyers. Buzzy, you did talk about Janis Joplin uh, quite a bit in your book, but you, could you explain uh, what you meant by that Saturday Night Swindle?
1: Yeah, that was a kind of like the Saturday Night Swindle, as she called it, was a kind of a key emotional um, touch point, I think, for Janis Joplin. She basically described how um, she, uh, growing up, she had really kind of idolized her father. He was an intellectual. He was kind of more artsy and a little more, um, a little less mainstream than the rest of her family. And I think she and her father were really kind of um, sort of spiritual soulmates. And uh, he and his friends would hang out, I don't know, playing poker or something like this, all these uh, men who kind of, you know, it kind of took Janice under their wing a little bit. And so once she had left Texas, gone out to San Francisco, achieved a fair amount of success, um... She wrote a letter to her dad and said uh and said something like, "You know, I've achieved all these things, I'm making money, I have tons of fans, and blah 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 but i still I still kind of feel empty. What's that all about i thought if i i thought if you know you keep trying, you keep trying, you work as hard as you can, and then you achieve something, and then you achieve happiness and her dad wrote back and said ah, I see you've just discovered the Sat- the great Saturday night <laughs> swindle. And what he meant by that was, um, was that, you know, we tell ourselves that if we work as hard as we can, we try hard, we have a good attitude about things, it's all going to work out fine. But the truth is, at bottom, you still might not be fine, and you still might not be happy, and you still might have that sort of emptiness at your core. And that's... That's the kind of thing you don't tell a kid. You don't. You have to really grow up and become an adult and sort of learn it for yourself. And I think for Janice, that was really the source of the blues for her. You know, was this kind of? Um, it's kind of the dark side of the American dream, in a way. You know, that anything you want to achieve, you can. Well, you might achieve it, but you still might not be happy. Right. You know, and that I think that's really what it was.
0: And uh, finally, uh, could you describe the dig-me-if-you-dare attitude that you talk about in your book?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Aretha Franklin, um, you know, she's a person who, in a lot of ways, I mean, she's really the the queen of American popular music, I would say. She's really spans so many audiences, and just everyone loves her. It's hard to find anyone who really has a negative opinion about Aretha Franklin. Although, um, You know, in the 60s, it's easy to forget that her choice to go to Atlantic Records, not to go with Motown, for example, even though she was from Detroit, um, to be involved with the Civil Rights Movement, all these things, were actually, you know, they did get her some criticism uh, in the 1960s. And so I think she's a little more um, controversial a figure than looking on her today we we tend to remember and so i think the dig me if you dare idea was you know people growing up aretha franklin was the daughter of of a very successful minister at detroit um she was kind of the good girl she was from the church she was friends with mahalia jackson the great gospel singer and um this expectation was that she was going to continue being this kind of upstanding member of society. And so then to kind of come out in the 1960s on Atlantic with, you know, you make me feel like a natural woman, um, was fairly radical, you know. And I think that was her her sort of rebirth as a sort of a real, fully realized artist and a fully realized artist. Um, woman, really. And so I think that Dig Me If You Dare is kind of like, you know what, all these people have expectations for me. Um, They'd like me to keep on being the sort of, you know, um, clean, squeaky clean black princess of American music. But I'm not. I'm going to go to Muscle Shoals. I'm going to play my own piano. (laughs) And I'm going to be like the funkiest singer you've ever heard. (laughs) And she succeeded, obviously.
0: Buzzy, thanks so much for spending some time with us on this Part 2 Women in Blues podcast. As I mentioned before, your book is really entertaining and informative and is really kind of a treasure for anyone interested in history of women in the blues. Thanks again for joining us, uh, Buzzy. I appreciate it very much.
1: Well, thank you, Dave. I you know, I think it's great that you're doing this show. And See, this is another example of technology assisting the blues. This is a way for blues fans internationally, to sort of come together and find each other and continue to create an audience for this great music.
0: All right, my friends, uh, if you'd like to get a copy of Buzzy's A Bad Woman Feeling Good, you can go to Amazon.com. All right, next up is Maria Danes with Too Late, followed by Melissa Forbes singing Blackheart Blues. And following Melissa will be uh, Michelle and the Midnight Blues singing Two-Fisted Drinker. Here we go.
3: It is no longer blue. Nail in a blues jam, and there was a man. He was one of those drunk men. He was one of those men that said, You want to see what I got? No. And he's walking around with two beers, one in each hand. And it dawned on me he was a two fisted drinker. But now, you want to write a song about a two fisted drinker? He got to be from somewhere, right? And somehow or another, Kalamazoo just sounded good. So, that's how he ended up being the 2 fisted drink of the Kalamazoo. He the, ride, the-
0: All right, and finally wrapping up our show is a great guitarist, Anna Popovic, playing Navajo Moon. And following Anna will be Mary Bridget Davies with COD. We've had her on the show before, and uh, the way she sings, she certainly uh, deserved a spot on the Women in the Blues podcast. Well, that wraps up the 25th Women in Blues Part 2 podcast for the Blues and the Blood show. Special thanks to Document Records, Alligator Records, Northern Blues Records, IODA, Podsafe Music Network, Radio Submit, Rough Records, Voodoo Head Productions. Inside Sounds, Tone Cool Records, Rounder Records, Black and Tan Records, and Blind Pig Records, and also thanks to the special independent artists that help uh, put the show together. Special thanks, as always, to Michael Allen at the Crossroads Blues Gallery. And I wanted to mention, uh, you know, the toughest part of doing this show is is really not being able to include everybody. And Uh, I want to thank Buzzy Jackson once again for the incredible job she did at being, not only being involved in one show, but spreading it out to to do two parts as well. I really appreciate it, Buzzy. Um, Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Don't forget to swing by the bluesintheblood.com website uh, every now and then. I've got hyperlinks and uh, information about all the artists that you can go out and get their music. I've also added a new page that has some listener quotes and comments. I'd love to add yours, too. So if you have any uh, suggestions or comments, please email me at dave at bluesintheblood.com. There's also a link to the official bluesinthebloodmyspace.com site. So hey, help spread the word about the show. Well, until next show, I'm Dave Harrison, reminding you to keep the women in blues alive and keep the women in blues in the blood. See ya.